0: Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in for worship this morning. We are so glad to have you with us. If it's your first time here, maybe your first time back in a long time, we are especially glad to welcome you in this morning. We are expecting of the Lord to do mighty, mighty things in our time together this morning. So thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts available for you all throughout the service They would love to answer your questions. They would love to pray with and for you. So I encourage you to participate in that chat throughout the service as you feel led. And if you'd like a one-on-one private chat with one of our hosts, you can use the request prayer button over on the right-hand side, and they would be delighted to spend some time with you. We want you to feel connected to what God is doing in this place from wherever you are today. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand as you are able, in body or in spirit, for our call to worship which comes from psalm 96 and the psalmist writes this he says oh sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord bless his name tell of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples for great is the lord and greatly to be praised let's lift our voices together this morning Come all you weary,
1: come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry, drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table. You will satisfy taste of His goodness Find what you're looking for For God so loved Oh, God so loved The world that He gave us His one and only Son to save us Whoever, Whoever believes in Him Will live forever, forever.
2: moment, we're going to invite you all to come up and take communion if you are a follower of Christ, Um, and we'll do that over the course of this next song. If you're unable to get up, if you raise your hand, we've got some people in the back who can bring the elements to you. Um, But before you partake of the elements, the bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus and the juice that signifies his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Before you do that, we, we've been looking in the letter to the Colossians at a picture of what it looks like to see Jesus as king. And in order to do that as we come to the table, we need to do something. And it's what Rich talked about last week. We need to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We need to put, together sexual, or put aside, put to death, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Before you come to the table, take a moment to think about what are the things this week? Just what do I need to say to the Lord? Lord, I'm sorry this was present. And don't bring those with you to the table, but instead put on them as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you with this next song, as we consider the cost, your body broken, your blood shed, as we come forward and take of the elements together, we pray that we would recognize that you who are above all things and before all things willingly came to make peace by the blood of your cross. We pray that we would put to death the things in us that are not of you. We would leave behind the things that we know take us far from who we are called to be in you. We pray we would set our mind on the things that are above. We would see you as king of our lives. We would set you on the throne. We would live as if that was true, because it is. We pray as we come forward and as we partake, that we would just have a right picture of who you are first. And then we would rejoice that we get to be citizens in the kingdom where you reign. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: to leave.
0: come before the Lord together in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, I'm not quite sure I have the words today. I'm not quite sure I have the right words to adequately express how utterly in awe of you, how utterly grateful for Jesus we are. And if we're not in awe of you today, if we're not feeling grateful for Jesus and all that he has done, will you open our eyes so that we can see more clearly just who you are and what you have accomplished on our behalf? Will you bring us to our knees in gratitude and in worship of you because you are so worthy? You didn't have to do it. You did not have to bring us to yourself. You did not have to send Jesus. You could have left us in the darkness that we chose, but you refused to leave us behind. And you gave everything, everything that we might know you. And so I pray for each person in this room. I pray for those who are worshiping from far away, wherever they might be today, whatever they might be walking through. Will you help us to realize our great worth in your eyes? How chosen and how beloved we are. The lengths that you went to, to show us that you want us to be yours, to show us how loved we are by you. We can't even wrap our minds around it. But Holy Spirit, will you impress on us today this sense of identity that the truest thing about us is that we are loved by you. For those who are hurting today, for those who came in heavily burdened, who feel cast out or alone or confused, who doubt you, who doubt your love, will you just give us all a sense of your presence today, a sense of how near to us you are, No one is here by mistake. No one is here by coincidence. We are here gathered in your name for your kingdom purposes. Will you move in our midst today, we pray. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see you. Ears that we might hear your voice speaking to us more clearly than we have ever before. Will you open our hearts to receive you, receiving all that you have for us today. Your good and perfect word. We offer all of these things to you in the blessed name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen.
3: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Andy Suarez, and I welcome you here today. Um, we exist here at Springbrook to glorify God. Uh, we're trying to equip believers and reach others for Christ, and that's, that's what we're doing here today, and it's, it encourages me to see all of you here wanting to be here on Sunday morning together. Um, And I hope that being together here today will encourage you also. Um, If you're worshiping with us online, uh, you'll notice that there is a connections card link in the upper right-hand corner that you can click on and give us some information uh, about you if you feel comfortable sharing that. Uh, There's room for prayer requests if you're with us in person. Um, Along your row uh, that you're sitting in, there's also a white connections card that you can fill out too. Uh, to let us know whatever information you're comfortable with. And uh, please, on the back, too, there's room for prayer requests. We are a church of prayer. We love praying with you guys. So Um, we're not just here to be here on Sunday mornings. We also have a lot of other things. Being a Christ follower is not just coming up on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of other events that we can partake in to serve the community and to um, be together in fellowship. Uh, We have our shoebox, our Operation Christmas Child, Thing that's going on right now. We have the shoeboxes that are out in the lobby. Um, we've been talking about the shoeboxes. We've been talking about that we're now a collection point for uh, this uh, ministry that's going on. And um, I know that there's a few opportunities left for serving. I thank you guys. There's been a bunch of people that signed up to help serve over the course of this. It's not this week, but I think it's another week from now to help collect shoeboxes because we are now a collection point for that. So feel free to grab a shoebox out in the lobby if you want to help that way. Or if you go to springbrook.org slash shoebox, you'll be able to Um, sign up and volunteer that way if you want or you'll find out more information about the shoe boxes Uh, we have uh, come back tonight Uh, Judson Choir is going to be here Uh, we had a great opportunity to be able to um, kind of host them coming here and um, being a choir and so Judson's a college is based in Elgin and um, they asked us if we'd like to host them and we thought it was a great idea. So there's a free concert that's going on tonight at 6 p.m. You don't have to register or sign up or get tickets or anything. Just feel free to come back this evening and enjoy. Um, We have our women's Christmas tea that is going on. Um, it might be, you might refer to it as a tea party, possibly. Uh, it's on the 10th at 1 p.m. It's a couple hours. I uh, know they, they say to bring your bring a teacup with, maybe that you have a story behind. I know that lunch is going to be catered. There's plenty more information, and you can register at springbrook.org slash uh, tea. Matt is going to be out in just a moment, and uh, you guys enjoy your service. Thank you.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. Hi. You're all awake today. It's the extra hour, I bet. You don't have children if you got an extra hour of sleep last night. Um, this is like the third year in a row where I feel betrayed by this holiday. Um, <laughs> this is where I'm at, but um, our children are sick. And so last night, instead of getting extra sleep, we got an extra hour of not really getting sleep I'm a little tired this morning, but I'm also very excited. Um, We are in week six of our study through the letters to the Colossians and Philemon, Um, and we haven't talked about Philemon yet, and we're not going to talk about the letter to Philemon today, but next week we're actually going to talk about that, and I'm getting really excited because this week and next week are part of kind of the same big idea, Um, I mean, the whole series is part of the same big idea. But these next two weeks, I hope, are going to show you a picture and a case study of what it looks like to follow Christ in a culture that has values different than that of those that are from above. And so we're going to wrestle with this. But before we wrestle with it, um, we've got a few things we need to talk about. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to Colossians 3. Um, We're going to be in verses 17 through 4 or through chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll get to that in a moment. But before we jump into that, before we jump into that, I want to kind of remind you of where we've been, and then I'll read the passage we're at today, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in, and I hope you will be very challenged today. I'm going to have fun today. I hope you will as well. Um, so, our outline for Colossians, as we've been reading through it, we started with Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 1 through 14, and we talked that first week about walking worthy of being citizens in Christ's kingdom, and kind of our key verse at the end of the passage was he has delivered us, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and made us citizens. The language in the English is transferred, but the underlying language is he's transformed us into, made us into citizens of the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are called in Colossians 1, 1 through 14, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. How do we do that? We join the work of the gospel in bearing fruit and increasing. Now, if you haven't listened to those sermons, I'm giving you a quick heads up today. I I don't have time to go too far back. Um, but, but this is what we talked about. The second week, we looked at Colossians one fifteen through 20, the poetic movement on which the whole letter to the Colossians is framed. And it says, Christ reigns above all in every way. The passage we read, and I'm just going to read all of it. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. We talked this week about how Jesus is the only one on the throne. And for us, we need to not think we are on a throne and Jesus is anywhere else. We need to put him on the throne. We need to be citizens in his kingdom. And then the following week, we looked even more at that because Colossians 1, 21 through 2, 5 said, we need to stand before Christ the King And the language here that we will see. Um, and you... Us who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, we were of the dominion of darkness. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And the in order to present is to stand before a ruler or a throne. There's a picture of authority happening in Colossians 1. Then we looked at not returning to the old kingdom, and Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says we need to stand in our faith, established, built up, and living, rooted in our faith, following after Jesus. And the key verse that we talked about, we talked about the idea, see to it that no one takes you captive, and the idea of captive was no one takes you out of the kingdom you're in and puts you back in the old kingdom. See to it that no one takes you captive By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You are in Christ now. You are no longer your own. He is the head of all rule and authority, and you are a part of his body. Last week, we talked about if we're citizens in the kingdom where Jesus reigns, if we are a part of his body, if we are not going to go back to the old ways, it means we need to put off the old and put on the new. We, we need to set our mind—if if then we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above— not on things that are on the earth. And then Pastor Rich last week talked about there were things we need to put to death. We need to stop doing these things in Colossians 3, 5, and 9. We just talked about it as we took communion. And there are things we need to put on. Do these instead, Colossians 3:10 through 17. And, and the picture here is if we're citizens in this kingdom, we used to look like that. Now we need to look like this. And it's not about what we don't do. It's about the way we put on Christ in every aspect of our lives. And now, we've been talking about authority, and now we're going to have this weird segue. And it's not going to fit. And I'm giving you all of this heads up. I, some of you are thinking, Matt, if you would have just given me this, I could have skipped the last five weeks. But but when we get to this point, something happens that we need to address. and And we need to be aware, everything to this point has been about Christ as king, And us, citizens of his kingdom, living faithfully, not in the old way, but in the new way. And now I'm going to read the passage for today, and then I need to talk about it. Because this passage in English is so stinking complicated, and so stinking simple, and it's so hard to understand. And I'm not apologizing for what I'm about to read, but I need you all to hear that what we are about to read in English has nothing to do with what Paul wants us to hear, I'm going to prove it for you. I'm not just making things up right now, but I am so excited for this and also so nervous because as I talk about this, you're going to be like, well, but it says this. And I'm going to say, it does say that, but it doesn't mean that. And I'm going to show you, but we're going to read it right now. And when we read it, some of you right away are going to be kind of triggered by it. And you're going to be like, I don't know if I like this passage. And I'm going to tell you, good news, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Others of you are going to say, Matt, I like this passage. Why are you changing it? And I'm going to say, bad news, it doesn't mean what you think it means. And then we're going to dig into what the passage actually means. So I'm giving this a long setup. And the reason is, is that we live in an individualistic society where as I say what I'm about to say, you hear it and process it on an individual level. Whereas when this was said, this would have been said in a certain household where the church met. The man who was in charge of the household where this church met was a man by the name of Philemon. And he was the head of a house, which meant he had a wife, he had offspring, and he had slaves under him. He was a person of influence and wealth in Colossae. And he was a Christian, and everyone in that household would have seen themselves as attached to him. And we need to be aware of this as we jump in, because our modern individual way of reading this is going to get us saying, well, I'm this, or I'm this, or this applies to me, this doesn't, and that is not how they would have seen it at all. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to look at old quotes by Aristotle, and then hopefully at some point you'll say, oh, I get that, and then at another point hopefully you'll go, oh... I get that. I don't like that. But I need to like it. Colossians three seventeen, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we lift up this day in time to you. We pray that as we look at this letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago by Paul to a group of Gentile believers in Colossae, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what motivated this letter, what the purpose of this letter was, and what this letter means for us today. We pray your spirit would be moving. I pray that these would not be my words, but yours. Um, I know from the study this week, I feel really good about what I'm about to say, but Lord, I feel a heaviness, and I confess that to you. But I pray these would be your words and not mine. I pray for all of us that we would hear what we need to hear, and we would respond to your gospel truths. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So wives submit, children obey your parents, slaves keep following your earthly masters. Not a very fun passage. Um, Now I want to tell you, when it says children obey your parents, this is very important. The word behind children is offspring. So if you have a living parent, it means you need to obey them if we read it on the surface value. Um, because that's the word that was meant in the Greek. This would be the idea, like, my dad is in his 60s, and I would just need to obey him in whatever he said, if this passage is true in a modern English sense. When it talks about bond servants, I know some of you right away are going to say, Matt, I know this thing that when they talk about bond servants and slaves in the New Testament, it's different than what we think of with slavery and, like, The early America. Like, it's different than that. It wasn't the buying and selling of people. And that's like a good thought, and it's true some of the time, because you see, there were heads of households, a man like Philemon, who under him would have had a wife, he would have had his children, and then he would have had a whole bunch of other people under him. And these would have been people that bonded themselves to him And they would have said, you know what, I'm going to become a servant of him because it will better my situation. And that was one type of slave. The word in Greek does not just mean that type of slave. There were other slaves that were property that heads of households would look at and say, you know what, I want that person to work for me. Those slaves could be professions like a doctor, they could be a teacher, they could be an artist, they could be a day laborer, they could be someone you send into mines. The word slave here can have such a broad range of meaning that we can't just ignore the word and say, well, actually, slavery didn't mean the same thing. I want to say that because it would be very easy. But Paul, when he says, bond servants obey your earthly masters, he's saying, you're their property in a way. And we're going to look at this more because it's not what it means. But in our modern understanding, if we're reading these words honestly, that's what it means on the surface. Now there's a problem when Paul talks about bondservants and masters, and that problem comes in something we read last week. Colossians 3.11 says, there, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. When it says slave and free here, it's, it's saying that's no longer a thing in the Christian way of living. So we need to bring that to what we're reading. And then we have to say, well. Well, if that's the case, then maybe this passage means something different. And we need to talk right now about something called context. And to do that, I have to show you a picture of my daughter. Okay. A few weeks ago, some people came to our house. This is my daughter, Lucy. She's three years old. A few weeks ago, some people came to our house, and we had a meal together. And at one point, I said to Lucy, Hey, Lucy, I like you. And Lucy did this. And she said, no, Daddy, you don't like me. And the, the mom of the couple that was at her house looked at me like, what on earth is happening? Is your daughter having a temper tantrum? What on earth in the world is happening? And, and this, is because, this is because this person does not know the story and context of Lucy. What do you say to a little kid when you're trying to get them to eat food? Oh, you like broccoli. Oh, you like black beans. Oh, you like chicken. Oh, you like this. Oh, you like this. Lucy associates the word like with eating things. So if you say to Lucy, Lucy, I like you, she's saying, don't eat me. She'll even say, if you give her a few times, she'll go, Daddy, I'm icky. Don't eat me. It's the cutest thing in the world. But but if you just walked by me as I said to my daughter, Lucy, I like you, and she said, no, Daddy, you don't like me, you'd probably be concerned, right? But if you know the story... And if you know the context, you all of the sudden will say, that's pretty funny. Maybe you will. I think it's the best thing in the world. I ask her it all the time, and she always responds the same way, and it always just fills me with joy. So I want to tell you that in this passage, if we focus on it in the English, we're going to miss the point. Because I want to tell you some things that Paul is not focused on in this passage. Paul is not focused on the submission of wives. To be ruled by their husbands. So when we read, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, Paul is not here talking about wives, submit to your husbands. He's also not talking about the response of husbands in the way that they're supposed to rule over or lead their wives. Um, He's not talking about this at all. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Matt, it's what it says. Let me keep going. He's also not talking about the obedience of children ruled by parents and fathers. So when we read children or offspring, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Paul's not worried about children, and he's not worried about the response of fathers in the way that we might be thinking. When he talks about the obedience of servants ruled by their masters, and when we see this, and note, there's way more text here than what we saw in the previous two. When Paul says all of this, He's not talking about the obedience of servants and the response of masters. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yes, he is, right? This is, when I wrote the curriculum for this passage, I was still kind of thinking this way, without this top part. And, and the more I study, the more I was like, man, there's something missing here. And what's missing here is this man, this is a man by the name of Aristotle, and it's really unfortunate that the picture is kind of blown out because my wife and I decided he probably has a comb over in like a really funny way where the sculptor didn't like fill in his hair or the sculptor was sculpting and then bumped it a little bit and then was like, well, I'm running out of space for his large forehead. Um, but I, I joke about this because Aristotle images are funny to me. Uh, I don't know why, but um, this is what I think about when I'm preparing for a sermon. Um, but Aristotle lived close to 400 years before the letter to the Colossians was written. And Aristotle wrote some things that the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire used as a foundation for how they saw the household and how they saw ruling. Aristotle said the investigation of everything should begin with its smallest parts. And the primary and smallest parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. Where have we heard those before? Do you see? Do you see? We ought, therefore, to examine the proper constitution and character of each of these three relationships. I mean that of mastership, marriage, and thirdly, the progenitive relationship, which is offspring. Now, when Aristotle wrote this, Aristotle wrote this not for everyone in the household, but for the heads of the household, the mastership, the marriage, and the progenitive relationship. He was focused on the heads. He was focused on the people that were on top, In fact, the Roman Empire built their empire around an idea of citizenship for those who were invested in a certain level of wealth and resources were the heads of households. And everyone else would be bonded to those heads. And and I want to tell you, Aristotle had some funny values inside of this. He talks about, for the free rules the slave, the male the female and the man, the child, in a different way. His assumption right off the bat is the head of the household rules over all of those things and rules them in different ways, and all possess the various parts of the soul, but possess them in different ways. Now, this might sound kind of confusing, but what he is saying here, or starting to say, is that different people, that we all have a soul, but some people have a better soul or a worse soul. Um... The slave has not got the deliberative part at all. Justification for slavery here, that the slave, they're, they're lesser. They're a lesser soul. And the female has it, but without full authority. The female, lesser. The child has it, but it's undeveloped. So, hence, the ruler must possess intellectual virtue and completeness. The picture that comes out of this is a very clear picture. And, and I'm, I'm giving you two snippets but, but if we went further into this, Aristotle talks about slaves as living tools. He talks about children in a way where it's like up to the, the head to do whatever they want to prepare those under them to rule when they pass away, but it's up to the head to do that. So if the head wanted to provoke someone and wanted to do whatever they wanted, they had that right. And, and in their culture, when we read something like wives submit or children offspring obey or slaves obey, No one reading this, no one listening to this in the audience would have said anything, but yeah, okay. That's how they lived. That's how they saw the world. They lived in a communal orientation, not an individual orientation. And they lived in one that I don't think Paul here is quoting Aristotle and what he says, but I think these are Roman values that started there that you can see in other writings, Greek and then Roman values, that play into how everyone in the household would have seen their place and purpose. There would have been a head, and there would have been people under the head. Elsewhere in the Bible, like in the book of James, um, James talks about, hey, don't play favorites with the people who are are better and the people who are worse. You're not doing it right. There's a picture that happens through Scripture of, of don't put yourself under the rule of the rich, but live for Christ. This happens all over the place because in their culture This was assumed. It was assumed that females were less than males. It was assumed that children were undeveloped. And it was assumed that those who were not in headship roles, there was something missing from them. And so we come again to our passage. And when we come to our passage again, we're coming to the passage thinking about a Roman cultural setting where everyone in that audience in Philemon's house, would have looked at Philemon, the head of that household, who had a wife, children, and slaves, and they would have looked at him as the host of this house church, and they would have said, that guy is what I aspire to be. He has the Roman dream. He's in the best of it. Some people would bond themselves to a household hoping to eventually make make enough money to buy their freedom and then become the head of another house. I want to quote the movie Gladiator, but I don't remember anyone's name except Maximus. But there's like the guy who was the gladiator and then became the head. Fine. Whatever you do in word or deed, no. Uh, so we come back to this passage, which begins, and we need to remember, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Is the proceeding is set your mind on things above, put on this new way of living, In whatever you do, it should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Your Lord is Jesus, he who is the image of God, who is above all things, who is before all things. So wives, when you submit yourselves to your husbands, not because it is fitting to the husband, it is fitting to the Lord. Now, okay, we got to talk about this thing real quick. I got to take a drink. We are not going to talk about the definition of the word submit or about the definition of the word love, or anything right now. And the reason we are not going to talk about it is because Paul is not focused on what wives should do, what husband should do. He's focused on their status. Okay? If you want to figure out what it looks like to submit or what a, a proper marriage looks like, the passage to go to is Ephesians five. It's like 22 is where where it starts but it's actually like 518 because God or, or Paul says in there he talks about how wives should submit and when he talks about wives submitting it starts off we should all be filled with the spirit we should submit to one another wives to your husbands the word submit isn't even there in the Greek but it's applied as an antecedent but the point is is wives are called to submit to their husbands as husbands are called to lay down their lives for their wives they're called to lay down their lives for one another there is a created order and in that created order is an opportunity for husbands and wives to lay down their lives for each other on a daily basis and live out Christ for each other. The picture that Paul puts together in Ephesians is wonderful, but Paul is not talking about that today. Paul does not care today about the inner workings of the household. He cares about the thoughts of the household, where that wife would have thought, I have to submit because I have to please my husband, because my husband is more than me. But here, there is neither slave nor free. Christ is the head. You are a part of that body. So let us slow down and let us recognize you're no longer submitting Because you need to be fitting to your husband. But in all that you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So wives in that relationship with your husband, do it for the Lord. Husband, love your wives for the Lord. Children, offspring, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. No longer are you doing this because you need to do it for your parents, so you please them so at the end of the day they give you an inheritance because that's what Roman culture was about. You wanted to not tick off your parents so that someday when they passed away, you got the inheritance and they set you up well for the life that you would live once they were gone and you were fully developed rather than incompletely developed. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Lead well. And finally, bond servants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye services as people pleasers. Don't obey your earthly masters because you want them to see you and say good job or to be a people pleaser, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, putting the Lord at the top, recognizing it is him that you are serving. Whatever you do, work heartily. By the way, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That language, Lord Christ, is unique in the entire Bible to this moment. And the word Christ means king, Messiah. It means the, the anointed one of God. It's language of a king. The word Lord is authoritative language. So, so you don't serve this earthly master you serve the Lord Christ, he who is the image of the invisible God, the beloved son, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now remember, Paul is not here talking about slavery, and he's not talking about the way you should follow your earthly masters. He's talking about the way you should know who your actual master is, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Slaves were said to not be as wise or else they would have been in a good position. Fate had failed them. The elemental spirits had failed them. Human philosophy said if you found yourself a slave, it was because you were less. And if you were a slave, there was something you never, ever had. An inheritance. Because an inheritance was tied to those who were above you, that you were under that would be able to use those, that wealth and resources in your favor. And so if you were a slave, it meant that you had no options but for slavery. And so when Paul says, knowing that from the Lord you, re, you will receive the inheritance as your reward, he's telling these people, you have an inheritance. He is upending an entire picture of what they believe themselves to be and saying, it is not at all like what you're thinking. And then he says knowing one more time. I hope you guys enjoy this. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. And we don't have time for this, but the word fairly means equally, like equality. It's got the idea of equality. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, if you have a master, that also makes you a bondservant. And if you're a bondservant, it means you have no inheritance on your own. But if you're a bondservant of the Lord, it means your inheritance comes from him, which means that your earthly inheritance, upon which you base your entire existence and authority, is based on the wrong things. So masters, you're not really a master. You're a bondservant. The the logic of this passage would have hit home. If you think about when this passage was read, this man named Tychicus, Paul sent him with a letter and alongside that letter came a second letter and alongside that second letter came a man named Onesimus. When Paul sent Tychicus and Onesimus to Colossae with those letters, one letter was the letter to the Colossians, the other letter was the letter of Philemon. The man that came with Tychicus was a man by the name of Onesimus who was a former slave of Philemon who had run away. Paul told him to return. And Paul told him to return in a letter where Paul says, Masters, know that you also have a master in heaven. Bondservants, know that your inheritance comes from the Lord. We're going to look at this a lot more next week, but I just want to to cue you to what's happening here because everyone in that household church When Tychicus read this letter to them. Because remember, they did not have their own Bibles back then. There was no printed Bible at all. There would have been scrolls and letters upon which they were written that would have been duplicated somewhat. But the way that the common person would have heard scripture would have been in a communal setting in the household of Philemon. Do you know who Philemon was? Philemon was a husband, Philemon was a parent, and Philemon was a master. And everyone in that room would have saw Philemon as above them because he had the, ver- the unique virtue and intellect to rule over their lesser souls. And Paul in this passage is flipping the script on the entire way the Romans saw the, ru- the, war- the rule and-, and culture in which they lived. Now, another cool thing here, um, the word master and the word Lord. In Greek, there's only one word here, and for some reason... For some reason, in the ESV, they say, well, sometimes it's master, sometimes it's lord, but literally the word is the same. And when you see that, lords, treat your bond service justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a lord in heaven. The status you have, if you claim it, you're claiming that you have this status. You don't. There's a picture happening here where Paul is upending the entire way that Roman citizens, Gentiles, would have seen themselves, from the least, the slave who has the least option, the runaway slave who has even less, to the greatest, the one whose household they are able to meet in. And so we come back to this passage, and I started. I, I mentioned that it seems like he's just doing random cultural va- or ra- random household things, but I think what this passage is really about is refusing cultural values and serving the Lord Christ, and. And it's, I, I want to say a couple things, and I want to drink more water. I was told by someone I should drink water to slow down. If you're sitting here thinking, when I read this in English, I could never get to the point you just got to, let me tell you, um, I have the spiritual gifts of knowledge, teaching, and shepherding. And I love when I get to preach because I get to get this nerdy. I get to go spend a week reading Aristotle. On Tuesday of this week, I was ready to preach this message. And I spent the rest of the week trying to make sure everything I'd found and studied, I felt comfortable with. And and I talked to mentors. I talked to people that study scripture a lot. And everyone I talked to, after we went through it, they went, okay, I see it, Matt. I see it. And then the question that they all asked was, so what? And I was like, well, if Paul wrote this letter to us, he would not talk about wives and husbands. Because he's talking about culture. And in our culture, everyone's an individual. Right? He wouldn't talk about wives and husbands. He wouldn't talk about children and parents. He wouldn't talk about bond servants, which would be like employees, employers, or something. I don't know. It's kind of confusing to get there. Um, but, But the point is, Paul would not use this language at all to talk to us. Because he would look at the assumed cultural values that guide us. And he would say, we need to upend those. And if Paul was writing to us, I think he'd start from, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think Paul would look at the founding of this nation in our first document, and he would say, if you are a Christian, if you are a part of the kingdom of his beloved son... This is inadequate. And I know this is hard. I know this is hard. But it is. Because if this is true in the way that it says, then we all should sit on our own throne. And if we've demonstrated one thing through this study so far, it's that if you are seated on the throne, you have misunderstood our created being that we are in Christ. If you are on the throne, Christ is not there, and there's a problem with that. I think if Paul wrote this letter today, I think he'd still say this, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then I think the next verses, I think he would handle them a lot differently. And I think, this is me paraphrasing what I think he would say. I feel very confident in this. I think he would say, do not think of your life, do not think your life is your own. You died and were raised with Christ. Your life belongs to the Lord. It's not about your life. It's about your life in him. You are a part of the body where he is the head. Do not think liberty means freedom to your own ends. Christ is the head of all, and you are part of his body. Serve him. Lastly, do not consider the pursuit of happiness to be a thing of substance. It is but a shadow. Instead, pursue that which is from above. If we seek our own pleasure or to please others, we set ourselves back into the world in which Christ has freed us. Let us never go back to the way of living where we set ourselves on the throne, but recognize that Christ is our king and we are citizens in the kingdom where he reigns. If you are a Christian that follows Christ well, based on a biblical picture of who he is, you cannot fit into a culture of this world in a comfortable way. It is not possible. If you can live your life for an entire week and never bump against the values of the culture, in truth, because of your interactions with others, not because you see something online or on the news, but if your interactions with everyone in your life do not lead to friction because you're espousing kingdom values and they're saying, I don't believe in those, Christ is not on the throne. I know this is uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable saying it, but I also really believe it. I I, I bring this to you because the problem that we live in is we think that while being a Christian is a part of my life, liberty, and happiness, we think that. We really, really think that. It is ingrained in us to think about life, liberty, and happiness as inalienable rights, as things that we are all allowed to have in the United States. And and let me tell you, my best example of this, there's this old commercial, I think it was Matthew McConaughey, I think it was a Lexus ad. I don't remember entirely, and I feel silly that I didn't look it up, and I've talked about this with like five people this week, and they always say, you should look that up, but Matthew McConaughey, I think, in a Lexus commercial, or someone else in a Lexus commercial, or maybe a different car, Um, But they did this commercial where they said it's about life, liberty, and the pursuit. And then the the ad cuts at that point to a picture of the car, and in your head you go, of happiness. You just fill it in. It's ingrained in our culture to the point of we think, well, I get to follow the God that I want to follow. I get to have the religion that I want to have because that's a part of my life, liberty, and happiness. But if we're following Christ... We need to say Christ, who is above all, who is before all, who is above all things, he's the image of the invisible God, he is above every ruler and throne or dominion or power or authority. It is not by the values of this nation that I am allowed to follow him or not allowed to follow him. It is not an infringement of anything in this life, but the reality is, is that if I put him where he is supposed to be, there is not a single throne or dominion or ruler or authority that can separate me from his rule. But as soon as I justify my being a Christian into a system that is man-made, I have diminished Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. and Scripture hinges on moments like this where His resurrection shows us that He is all of this, then I and you and all of us need to live in such a way that people are confronted with this reality. Next week, we're going to dig much further in. This week, we're thinking about it. Next week, we're going to put this into very practical terms as we look at the letter to Philemon, which is a case study of the book of Colossians. But this week, my challenge for all of you as you leave is to think, In the way that I live, do people know I'm a kingdom of the beloved Son? Or have I submitted myself to some lesser authority? And have I made something besides Jesus the person on the throne in my life? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. We thank you for your Son. Lord, I thank you so much that we are not beholden to the thrones and dominions and rulers of authority of this world. And I thank you so much that in the midst of all the pain and hurt in this world, we thank you that your son, through his act on the cross, has made peace. I pray for everyone here. If there are people here who do not know your son, I pray that as they consider what it would be like to follow the one who is your image in the flesh, I pray that they would come forward, that we'd be able to talk and be able to just point them to who you are. I pray for all of us that we would repent of the things that we put on the throne above you. It is sad, Lord, but I know I do it. I confess I do it. I confess there are times where you are very far from the throne. But I also know that my image of what should be on the throne has nothing on you and who you are. And so I praise you for that. I pray for all of us that we would start thinking, do we live in such a way that others come to know? Do we live in such a way that we know in truth that we are following after you, that, that we are living as those who you have made peace with. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the people that just I, I just I marvel at the people who have scribed and kept documents over hundreds and thousands of years so that we can dig into your scripture the way we can. And I thank you for that opportunity. But above all, I thank you for your spirit and the way you speak to us through these words and through through your message. I pray that we would leave today setting your throne, or, or realizing that your son is already on the throne and living in such a way where we do not submit ourselves to anything less. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, let's stand together one more time in body or spirit and respond in song to the word we've received together.
4: Your kingdom is simple, as simple as love. You welcome the children, you stop for the one. We want to see people the way Jesus does. Your kingdom is simple, Lord, teach it to us. Your kingdom is humble, as humble as death. The king is a Savior who gave his last breath. So may we die daily, our pride laid to rest. Your kingdom is humble, and the broken are kingdom is come
0: Thank you so much once again for worshiping here with us this morning. I have a few quick reminders for you. We have prayer available for you up at the front between services. So if you need prayer um, or would like to share some of what's on your heart, we'll have prayer counselors available up here for you. Also want to remind you after second service, we have our leadership gathering for today. So make sure you come back for that. And then the Judson Choir is going to be here this evening and I would highly recommend anyone who is available to come on back out for that. It's going to be a delightful time of worship and every concert that they do has a full, clear presentation of the gospel. So if you have someone in your life that you could invite to come with you um, that would benefit from hearing that message proclaimed through music in a wonderful, um, beautiful setting, I would encourage you all to come back out for that tonight. I pray now that you will go in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week in him.